This is CliffCentral.com. Richard, are we on track with the financial pack for my presentation to the board next week? Well, hopefully. The team's very short-staffed, and it's taking such a long time to find a suitable financial manager for the division. We're way behind on all our forecasts and reporting. Why don't you speak to the finance team? They're a consultancy that can help you with an experienced interim financial manager. You can have somebody to help you almost immediately. They'll hit the ground running with no long-term contracts and no upfront placement fees. Go to thefinanceteam.co.za. Welcome to our Business Masterclass. I'm Richard Angus, CEO of The Finance Team, your part-time financial executive solution. Joining me in studio as part of our panel is Safia Boulay of New Habits, Making Shift Happen. I'm sure today's show is going to be fascinating. Sure is. Looks like it. Last week, we spoke to Belinda Wagner of Wagner Consulting on the whole question of who's responsible for marketing. Your organization is on show all the time. Who's responsible for what happens? Great show. Download our podcast from the website. Today's theme is all about the glue of business. How do you break down those internal silos within your business? Joining us in studio is our guest, Taryn Sido, a leadership coach who creates environments where people can thrive. Thanks, Taryn. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Good to have you with us, and uh, yeah, no stranger to the studio. (laughs) So, always good to have you with us. So I had a look at the whole definition of what is silo mentality, because I think that's something that comes up in business quite a lot. And I had a look in it, and the business dictionary defines silo mentality as being when certain departments or sectors do not wish to share information with with others in the same company. This type of mentality will reduce efficiency in the overall operation, reduce morale, and may contribute to, to the demise of a productive company culture. And I looked at that and I thought, well, sure, that really sums it up in a nice little nutshell in terms of, and it, and it sounds, it, it rolls off the tongue so quickly, but it is so destructive in, in any business. So, Taryn, I mean, when it comes to silent mentality, I mean, for me, as with many cultural issues in a business, the first thing that comes to mind is, well, sorry, guys, and I'm sorry the CEOs and entrepreneurs out there are going to hear this from us many times. It trickles down from the top. Mm-hmm. So, you know, start, start at the top and ask yourself the question, why is the silo mentality developing in my business? Taryn, what, in your experience, what do you see as you coach with leaders and work with people out there in the business world? What do you see kind of at that top level that starts engaging this type of behavior? And what, and what concerns you as a, as a person that holds up the mirror often to people? Okay, so I suppose the the complexity of business is that it involves human beings. Mm. And so we can create great structures that um, on a piece of paper um, look like there's interdependence and looks like there's collaboration, looks like there's synergy. But when we bring human beings into it, their, their essence and their belief system gets involved. And the principle you talk about is that it starts from the top is 100% true. But often silo thinking is not tremendously coming from the CEO. He's probably the only person thinking about the whole mm. um, or she. And so the challenge for the CEO is to start holding accountable people for the wholeness thinking as opposed mm. to the individual thinking. So not only just speaking to the finance guy for finance stuff, but um, actually creating an agenda that gets um, – uh, the the leadership team to collaboratively look at um, holistic issues. And one of the very simple things I see before we even go into what, what are the sort of belief systems that human beings have that hold this behavior in place. Mm. But one of the very practical things I see is that executive meetings are run in silos. 
They mm-hmm. run with each division giving a feedback of their issues. Yeah, and well, so well, but that I mean, perpetuates but I mean, it. Uh, Turn, uh, let, let's be honest here. We want to create an agenda for the meeting, and it just makes it so much easier to go point one, exactly. finance, point two, HR, point three, operations, point four, sales. I don't know. I don't think that there's in principle a problem with going through all of those things. It's just that when it's not your turn, you zone out and you start typing away. Typing away, playing on your iPad, yeah. you know, exactly, playing Exactly, because phone. The, the principle of what I'm sharing is trying to prove to you how good I am and how busy I am, more importantly, is mm. let me tell you how busy I am. This is what I'm doing, and this is what's going on. And <laughs> Karen, that is such an honest truth about corporate meetings. <laughs> yes. And so when you can shift it around, what are the challenges we face as a leadership team? What are the problems we mm. collectively need to solve? Mm. And when you have leadership meetings that is about a collective problem-solving mindset as opposed to a feedback forum about how busy I am, mm. then – I own a problem differently. I am now part of co-creating a solution for a problem that exists across the business. Um, and we are, you know, really challenged in organizations by time. Mm. People love it. It's their number one excuse to not solve real business problems because they're too busy. And it's because they're too busy giving feedback to people that don't aren't interested about things that are their responsibility. Mm. Is you don't need to tell the rest of your executive team what you're doing. If you're responsible for it, you need to tell them what they need to know for them to solve other problems that yeah. you are impacting. That, that's a really important point that, you know, when, when you come to that, to, uh, to any table, not just the executive table, any table, I guess, as, as a group of individuals, I guess you almost have to say, well, what is the, and maybe it, it, it does reside in the, in the title of the meeting, I guess, but you almost have to, and, and I, I've often seen or, and talked about this with people of, you take off your hat as the CFO mm. and you put on your hat as a member of the executive team. So now, you know, it's not about my functional report mm. and what I'm busy with, as you say, but mm. it's like, how do we collectively w- mm. work together? Mm. Um, I mean, is there space for saying, okay, we're going to ditch the titles in the room when you get into those sort of meetings? I, I mean, is there a whole, uh, how do you, how do you practically do this in business and make people almost, uh, I, I don't want to use the words level the, the field because I think the field is level anyway. They just have different, different mm. roles, but how do you make people step out of their functional thinking into a collective, cohesive, let's call it unified world? I suppose I'm going to answer your question in the way that I answer most questions is that you don't. Mm. You actually hold them accountable for the role, for their silo and how it contributes to the whole. Okay. So the impact your silo has on the whole is more important than forget about your silo for the whole. Mm. It's not an either or principle. Mm. For as long as we live in it's me, it's this or that. It's, it's this for that that okay. starts to shift it. And so how does what I do impact the whole? And how does what I do detract from the whole? That becomes an accountability structure that is different. Mm. And the thinking of that is not then a sort of me being a technical specialist. Me, It's more about me being a strategic partner. Mm. Is that as a partner with the rest of the, the business, one of the things we really need to know, and, and this is probably the key to it, is that nobody's right around the table. Mm. Is nobody has all the knowledge. Is the, the same way as we look at a sort of diamond, everything to do with business is multifaceted. If you have a look at something from a finance perspective, a risk perspective, a marketing perspective, a human capital perspective, um, and so on and so forth, the collective 
consciousness shifts when we all contribute and we don't start mm. in the competitiveness. On and, and I bring up competitiveness because it is the number one factor that robs it, is that we are competing around boardroom tables as to who is right. The facts are my perspective is the better perspective around the table. Mm. We are not in um, – appreciation of the fact that the contribution of everyone comes to a wisdom that is more than the individual parts. Mm. And and the, 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 the challenge with that is the ego of the executives around the table is that most egos are there because they're highly competitive. <laughs> they, they're there because they are go-getters. They're there because well, in many ways there's a, a – a, a level of arrogance which is useful and necessary for you to be you know, good in business. But when well, that is impacting the way you listen to others, whether you're listening to agree or disagree, rather than listening for the wisdom of what's the greater whole, that impacts it. So I sit in hundreds of boardroom meetings listening to everybody competing. They have yes, but conversations all the time. They're constantly you know, telling each other what, but yes, but I think this. Yes, but I think that. Yes, but I think this. Of course you do. So what? Mm. You know, the the point is, how do we bring that collectively to the end? Mm. That you are not right and you are not wrong. It mm. is the 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 greater wholeness. And mm. um, it's it's almost that principle of let me uh, and I I use the word quite carefully here the principle of co-creation. Mm. It, we can all be part of something better and bigger. Yeah, and that's holding. A much bigger frame of um, reference in mind that is holding beyond delivery. We're holding um, collective creation is that I believe uh, executives come together with a very core purpose is to create um, something magical that's never been created before. Mm. Um, there's almost like a, an unconscious, you know, contract to like, what are we here to bring to the world that's never been brought forward before? Mm. And that really is the opportunity business has. So, Taryn, so, I mean, obviously, you spoke about the um, the competitive nature of, of, mm. of mm. people who typically end up in an um, executive team. They typically listen to mm. exclude and to judge and to evaluate. It's mm. not necessarily to co-create. Mm. Um, how does one actually go about creating a leadership team or a team for that matter um, that has got the habits mm. of facilitating, co-creating conversations? Mm. Because the moment you're co-creating and you've got this collective responsibility for the outcomes, it's almost automatic that the silos will diminish. Mm. I'm, I'm not sure if they'll ever go away, <laughs> but. They won't be quite as rigid. Mm. How do you? What is the advice you would give to listeners to make that happen? So, when you're saying listeners, you're talking about as an executive in an in a team in an organisation where you are creating a team or you're participating or both. When you're participating in in in, in solving the business's problems and challenges and and and, and, and taking advantage of the opportunities. Mm. Um, because obviously whatever decisions are made there is going to follow through in the organization. Mm. I sub, uh, you know, I'm going to answer your question in a number of different ways. As an individual, the first thing you need to look at is your own triggers of competitiveness. Okay. And when you have a look at what makes you compete, now competition is not a negative thing, but when you are competing in every conversation, when you mm. are competing in every um, uh 
perspective, which means that fundamentally, if I, if I had to give you a simpler way of thinking about it, you have to be right. Yeah. So for mm. you as an individual to see how uncomfortable are you with being wrong in your own mindset so that you can get your ego out the way that I'm not listening for what I agree or disagree with. I'm mm. listening for where's the opportunity for what I can co-create here. Okay. And, and that is quite an intrinsic thing that takes a level of self-awareness that you start to see when are you triggered into having to be right and when are you, tr- you know, truly making yourself available for what is it that I'm here to offer. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. and, and it sounds, you know, a little bit weird when I say it that way, but it's those belief systems that impact the way you show up. And mm. that showing up is what impacts the culture and the environment that is. And one of the things that really does impact us quite a lot is the, the true belief around time and scarcity. So time is a real impact for silo based thinking. People walk around with very, very, um, narrow-minded beliefs around time. The biggest one is I don't have time. So this is a waste of my time. So, you know, how do we just get through this? And meetings okay. are a waste of time and all these sorts of things. So I'm showing up just to get it done. I'm showing up um, just to let you know. You're enduring uh, it. Um, yeah, I'm just suffering through this yeah. torturous thing. And so your beliefs around the collective grouping, which is often in meetings, is that's the co-creation time, that this is a true investment in the future, not a reflection of the past. So I bring that up also because for as long as we're in a reflection of the past, we're actually in that sort of silo-based thinking, that I'm just reflecting on my part, I'm reflecting on this, I'm not co-creating the future. Yeah, so if I could draw kind of two parallels here. Mm. So... The past is potentially the silo. Mm. The future is the co-creation. Now, interestingly, there's some work that was done um, when they wrote the book uh, on the execution gap in Covey and Mm. Friends. And they did some studies in the States, but it said they found that, if I'm not mistaken, the number was 49% of people said, that, or, or they said 49% of their time was spent doing things they knew they needed to do. Mm. The corollary was I spent 51% of my day doing mm. things that aren't in my, mm. let me call it my vision, my, mm. And, mm. and this was about the execution gap mm. in business. And I, I often thought about that mm. and the number because I always used to, when I was in the corporate world, my gut feel said to me, I spent half my day, or we spent mm. half of our time doing stuff that isn't really beneficial to anybody, the customers, us, the organization, whatever. We just spend Mm -hmm. 50% of our time just doing Mm. with no real motion of and and no real forward motion and often regressive motion, in in fact. Uh, or, or at least you feel like you're going around the block. I used to call it the, you know, the deja vu days. You know, you just seem to be going through the same stuff over and over again. Absolutely. Now, if you were to unlock... Mm. That fifty percent of that time mm. and put it into the co-creation space. Imagine what you could achieve. It's it's, it's unbelievable. Actually, it's actually astounding. But they have to release. We all have to release our seduction <coughs> of drama then, because mm. we all the days, of our, very, the days of our lives. We're all very seduced by drama, and that's a mm. great time waster. Is that I can get into a highly reactive mode and bitch about? Sorry, I said bitch, but uh, bitch about. Twice. You know, who Twice. <laughs> 
That's how I speak. So, you know, and, and carry on about whose fault it is and how long it's been happening and what to do with it. And, the, bl- and an, the blame game. Yeah, the blame game. And an immense amount of time is spent by executives in that defensiveness because they're overworked and overwhelmed. And the ability to suspend um, the drama and be able to look at, so what? Mm. So what now? Is that really important? And a real way to do this is that as leaders, we need to get really, really comfortable with getting into trouble. Mm. And knowing what you want to get into trouble for, rather than trying to solve every problem and make everybody like you, which maintains an egoic sense of defending yourself, which is the constant silo thinking, mm. is to, there are certain things you're always going to get into trouble for, for biz, in business. And mm. if you need to prioritize, one of the things with priority is prioritizing which ones are you comfortable getting into trouble for? Because I'm going yeah. to focus on the other things. And the CEO agenda or the agenda of the leader, if it's in a, a, a team in the organization, is the ability to suspend the need to try fix everything, which yeah. gets everybody into an overwork space that's defending themselves and maintains a silo thing. To like just hot pocket that is a problem, that is something that's going to be there for a while whilst we solve this and can focus and unlock that 50% of the energy. Mm-hmm. And a real part of that is the scarcity thinking that I brought up just now is that most of us as individuals walk around thinking there's not enough, not enough time, not enough money, not enough work, not enough people, not enough systems, not enough this, not enough that. And that in itself is the core belief that holds competitiveness and silo thinking in place. When we can truly go to there's more than enough, we have more than enough time to sort out what we need to. Mm. We had more than enough people. We have more than enough resources. And I know as I say that, it sounds like a load of nonsense because in organizations you have constraints. But mm. the belief that what do I do with what I have into the sense of abundance, which is about creation, as opposed to reacting to what I don't have all the time, which puts me in defensiveness and aggression, Mm. um, are some of the underlying sort of humanistic beliefs that hold some of this in place. Well, as you say that, I'm reminded of that very simple analogy, but it is so true. When, you know, people say it's a glass half full or half empty, empty. the reality is actually the grass is always full. Exactly. It's half full with water. And half full with air. And potential. It is, and potential. But it is full. Yes. It is how you choose to look at the problem Mm. and how you choose to respond. Mm. Um, and yeah, it, it often, it does, it does bear thinking and, and, and consideration as, as a leader Mm. around, you know, what are you doing? What are you focusing your people on? Are they Mm. focusing on the, on the water in the glass mm. or are they focusing on the whole glass and the potential mm. that it has to be full of whatever you choose to fill it with? Or they're focusing on the fact that risk took half the glass away from them or, you know, no. IT haven't given them the half, half the water, water they need. Yeah. You know, so there's always this, you know, who's impacting my glass as opposed to what am I doing with it if we had to use that metaphor. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and, yeah. Now, talk to me about the whole Let's call it unified vision and how that connects with, with this. Because when I think of, you know, what we're talking about here, choosing, choosing carefully what you're going to get into trouble for mm. and what you're going to do well, for me, that comes to a, a, almost mm. a picture of a unified vision as an organization mm. and how it's going to move forward. And we're all on the same bus. We're all driving in the same direction. Um, we, we know what we're here to do mm. and we're and we're committed and passionate and enthused by what we wish to achieve mm. in that unified world. How do, 
am I? I mean, are my connections appropriate? No, it's on really, that? really important. Is the reason that we stay in silo thinking is because of poor decision making that's happening into how we make our dates. Do we we prioritize day to day functions? As we're not prioritizing the collective, we're prioritizing the individual. And the ability to make decisions and prioritize is fundamentally dictated by. I call it what's your lighthouse. Mm. Do you have a lighthouse that is constantly bringing you back to when I'm uncertain of what decision to make, what takes us closer to that point mm. and what takes us away from that point? And that lighthouse is your collective vision. It's the point of reference that I'm not making decisions based on who's shouting the loudest. I'm not making decisions based on which client's the most unhappy today. I'm not making decisions based on the, the biggest Challenge we faced with today. I'm making decisions collectively. I take that all into account, obviously, because you need to take it into account. But also, what's going to bring us closer to the lighthouse? What keeps us in the direction? Mm. Now, very often, leadership teams do not have something that they've collectively bought into. Um, they may well have a mission statement, a vision, something on the wall. They may well have been on thousands of strategic breakaways, and they may even have very cool PowerPoint presentations telling you what their lighthouse is, but none of them have bought into it. And the reason I say they haven't bought into it is because it doesn't touch them in terms of how it impacts them on a day-to-day basis. One of the, the biggest challenges I see in corporates is what I call MBA speak is there's this great MBA vision that makes excellent um, business and sound logic. So on an intellectual level, I've bought into it. How could I not? And how do you not buy into a vision that we're going to be the best, for the best, with the best clients, making the most money, doing the most innovative stuff? Mm. Intellectually, you can't yawn, decline yawn. it. Exactly. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> but when you sound ask effects. me, you know, what's important to me and what, what would be my... Um, contribution to this company be way beyond when I leave way beyond sort of the the you know what's the essence that I've left behind what is it that I intrinsically want to collaborate with and co-create with it's got nothing to do with the MBA vision it's got to do with making cool stuff for cool people with cool people kind mm. of stuff you know and and we don't speak simply <clears throat> enough we don't create a vision that gets to the heart of it and gets people to know it intimately from a decision making perspective mm. um and so every now and again we go on a strategy breakaway and we all do death by powerpoints and we all align <laughs> our you know, five year you know, you know ten goals for this six months with our vision that the ceo's you know the only one talking about as he walks through every day nobody else talks about and look, they go and open up the PowerPoint presentation and oh, there it is. And so, oh, I remember. Um, it's not alive. And the reason it's not alive is because it's not emotional enough. It's not, it doesn't have feeling in it. It doesn't have connection in it. It doesn't have a sense of um, uh, will in it and grace in it. And so leaders forget about it and then they go into doing their job and they're strong technical mm. specialists. They need to do their job well. And they yeah. defend what they're doing. They're busy people. I mean, they should be busy. I mean, they paid a lot of money. Mm. And that's the other thing is to start paying executives for not being busy. Oh, Instead okay. of to be busy all the time is that when they're not busy, they're going to come to the future and they're going to start working collectively towards what's better mm. rather than this busyness trap. Mm. So I'm, I'm actually, as you were speaking earlier on about all these connections, I was actually seeing Velcro. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not about having one big sticky tape Mm-mm. with one big message. Mm-mm. It's about all those little claws mm. that's connecting with each person mm. uniquely so that they claw into what is important mm. to them. 
and all of that kind of accumulates up into the organization. Exactly. So we're talking about like core stickiness kind of stuff. Exactly, mm. which would be the glue that you talk about. The glue. What mm. makes what makes it sticky so that everyone so I'm this, I'm a listener listening into the show and I'm, the thing I want to take away is how do I communicate in a way so that the vision becomes sticky? Start talking about what you care about as opposed to what makes logical business sense. You know, so really, it's get out of your head and why you get there. You know, what makes you interested in what you do? So, so, if, so Darren, if I can just interrupt you, so that sounds so counterintuitive mm. because obviously we've been trained in school to be clever mm. and to be smart mm. and to be all those kinds mm. of things. Why must we talk about the things we care about? Because otherwise people don't care. You know, I'm always amazed when I get asked to come and do some training interventions in organizations. The one that perplexes me the most is the one is, you know, in call centers. Will you come and teach my call center to how to answer phones? And I'm like, who are you hiring that you have to teach them how to answer phones? If people care, you don't have to teach them that nonsense. Mm. They're interested. They're loyal. They're proud. They, And the reason that they're not is because we speak to them in intellectual terms that they can't agree or disagree with. They just bulldoze through it. And so as leaders, I ask leaders whenever I sit with an executive team, why did you get up today? What's the point? If this is for the money, well, that's going to last a little while. Dashboard. And yeah, it's the dashboard. And it's all these things. Is What difference do you get to make by having this awesome responsibility given to you that you lead people? Where you, and I, the way I talk about it is that you, you lead by default. Where you're leading them to is your responsibility. But Taryn, that's so hard for you for, for specifically executives and maybe also for business owners mm. because telling people what you care about means that you have to reveal yourself. Exactly. There's, there's this I always say in workshops there's a terrible V word called vulnerability. Oh, vulnerable. Feeling vulnerable, yeah. Yeah. You know, is to declare your own vulnerability is to stop proving yourself but start and showing yourself to the world and show them, you know, what is it that makes you tick, what is it that you hope to deliver there. And it is hard, but it's not as hard as it needs to be. Um, you know, it, it's definitely the thing that, um, businesses are realizing is that if they do not get this uh, intangible glue, this essence, this feeling of connection, this feeling of belonging, this feeling of willingness to, um, you know, the, and, and it's the discretionary effort mm. that we don't have to manage employees. We need to unleash their potential. And the only way mm. to do that is to care about your own potential there. What is it that you're doing there? What is it that you care about? And sharing that. And sharing that. And, and, you know, I suppose that sounds like a weird answer to breaking down silos, but it fundamentally is the difference. If I care about you, if I'm going on a date, I don't have a whole lot of judgment between you and me. I'm interested. Now, that only happens when you get married. <laughs> you know, the judgment comes later. But when you're truly interested in something, you show up, you listen, yeah. you open, you, 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 you witty, you involved as a human yeah. being to another human being. Mm. Now we go to work and we just ignore that. We just ignore this connection. And it means that all I can do is sit in my silo in my job, do my stuff, protect myself and make sure I get paid for what I do so mm. that I can go home and live my life so the more and enjoy the people I'm living my life with. I can't enjoy it here. And so the more we bring life to business again, yeah. the more business will give life to the future. Is that, you know, we really need to start getting people to, to be loyal, to, to care, to be there. And they're only going to do that if the executives do. 
And if they feel connected. Yeah. It's about connectedness. It is about a connectedness. And which is effectively the, the, glue, the glue that holds, yeah. you know, gets yeah. rid of the silo, yeah. connect, yeah. engage. If, if the only time I see, so imagine <laughs> I'm, you know, imagine I'm in IT and the only time that I see the risk guys is when I'm in the executive meeting, the CEO calls. There's getting, no connection. Getting, getting, getting whacked yeah, for what but, isn't uh, done. And then all I must do is present to them so I defend myself as to why I haven't done what they've asked. There's no human connection. There's no relationship. There's no com- common view of what we're doing together. Mm. And prioritizing. Because it's impossible to do everything that needs to be done. Yeah. If The day we think there is always going to be more work than people. Mm. And the system is always coming. <laughs> you know, <it's, laughs> in my 27 years of working in corporates, it's always coming. You know, that great system, that great process, all those things are coming. But, you know, right now, innovation has been able to make a difference with what we've got. Mm. And that comes through truly having heart to heart conversations and prioritizing and sticking with that. Mm. Taryn, it's been great talking to you. I think it's just so, so clear that the way of thinking drives the way of behavior mm. and then drives the outcome that we that we Absolutely. seek as executives. That was our guest, Taryn Sido, on the show. Thank you for joining us. We Pleasure. really appreciate the time and your insights. Great to have you with us. Perfect. Next up is our business conversation. Stay with us. This is CliffCentral.com.